This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Hello, Thrivers! We have an exciting interview ahead with a Naomi Dubin, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. She paints, she dances, but is a part of a community of chalk artists that really should be explored more. I learned so much, and I'm so excited to hear your feedback, which can be sent to the Facebook page, Mr. Thrive Media, or DM'd on Insta and Twitter, at Mr. Thrive Media. Before this interview starts, I want to tell you about something amazing I pulled off with my friend and business coordinator, slash community outreach, Izzy Salam. We just did our very first virtual networking party. We had over 30 artists show up, and we want to see more new faces. If you're an entertainment professional or an artist in any capacity, be there. We want to see you. The event is free. Did I mention it's free? Email chaz at mrthrive.com. My email is in the show notes. Just let me know that you want to come, and I will send you a registration link. People made new friends, brought drinks, and even performed live music. Speaking of live music, Kendra Mickey, who was a previous star of Tomorrow on my podcast, performed with Kendra and the Bunnies at our event. This is a shout-out to go check out her new podcast, The Politics of Kendra, a show where all things music, culture, art, spirituality, and beyond are discussed. Kendra has a way of opening the mind with her words and music. I've personally witnessed it myself. She is brilliant. I ask you guys to give her podcast a listen. I know you'll love it. All right, fam. Let's start the podcast. You have stumbled upon Mr. Thrive, Stars of Tomorrow, where together we'll discover emerging artist, painter, chalk artist, and muralist, Naomi Dubin. Naomi, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I really am excited. I have a personal discovery story (laughs) with your craft. And that was one day I was going for a jog in the neighborhood and I came across your cat from Alice in Wonderland, Mm -hmm. just like drawn, like uh, beautifully chalk drawn on this driveway. And it had so much dimension to it, had so much color, had so much detail to it. I was just blown away by it. And I, I, yeah, I, I just really fell in love with it. And thank God you put in your Instagram handle right below it. Mm. Also accurately drawing the Instagram icon (laughs) of the app itself. (laughs) It was very clear. So I reached out to you like, why not? Let's just see if uh, Naomi will will respond. And you totally did. And I'm so thankful you did because now we're here. I'm able to bring on this podcast about emerging artists. And there's so much to talk about with you as a person. You, You have so many different talents. And I was Wondering if you'd like to expand on I think the the chalk art has been a branch out of painting formally, but then it's it's an opportunity to be able to be outside, do large scale artwork quickly. Chalk definitely is as a medium, a fast and easy medium. You, know, you don't have to wait for oil paints to dry. And it's really interactive with people. So not only um, people that pass by that you get to interact with, but also artists that are out there next to you. So this is a unique experience to get to to do this type of work at home because of the quarantine. And then most commonly we go to festivals for the weekend and have you know hundreds of artists and thousands of people collectively in one spot. So it's a, a different uh, form of art, I think, for painters to be able to experience. And you were saying that even during quarantine, people are meeting up to do the chalk festivals? Virtually. We're all doing it from home. So it's this unique opportunity to let people in our neighborhoods 
get to experience it. Like we're, we're bringing it to their houses. That almost sounds better, really. Much more broad audience for sure. Yeah. I think that the, the most fun has been that the inspiration it's had for children in the neighborhood. Uh, I left some chalk out and now there's some little kid chalk drawings below mine. So it's, it's uh, I think, given them inspiration to realize that this is something that, um, that they can do where it's not limited to hopscotch. Uh, and that there's there's other chalk besides Crayola, like there's, you know, with, with more color and artwork and pigment that you can make, um, as well as for their parents to, to play with it, and then even expand on the neighbors who have never seen anything like this before. On average, how long does it take to, com to complete a piece? We usually only have the limit of a weekend. So the event will start on Friday. The event will formally, start, I guess it would formally start on Saturday. They'll give us Friday to start. And then we have to be done by Sunday before sundown. So I'll choose pieces that either I think I can complete myself within the three days or um, have a partner and choose something larger and more complex. Sometimes I've got a deadline of just a day and I'll choose a piece that that I can finish in, I don't know, five hours or. Sure. Do you get to choose your partner or is it randomly assigned to you? Yeah, yeah, we get to choose. I mean, you know, you want them to accept your <laughs> your offer. But that's important too because there's there's styles of how you draw and you know, who who do you merge well with? And I've got a girlfriend I grew up with. We went to high school together and we've we've been doing it all through our adult life and and it's fantastic to be able to one get along with her, but also that our art styles um are blend seamlessly together so in the end it's just one finished piece and you can't even tell who worked on where. Absolutely. And and going back to, you know, having to do the chalk drawings in your neighborhood because of the current quarantine situation, the ability to reach out to the community, I'm thinking about it now, and I feel like, can you even name another type of art style that connects with the community more than chalk drawing? Right now, another project I did was painting a mural on boarded up buildings. And that's something that I'm seeing more and more, uh, and I'd love to do again, was taking just with with the protests and with just political messages that need to be spoken and voices heard there's i think chalk art on the on the street is one form and then also posters is another but then you know taking it beyond posters to actually paint something on onto boards which is also kind of nice it also adds the um temporariness of it it's not a graffiti and it's not a mural on a wall but it's it's, it's on a board that can be taken down, but still relays the same message and then reaches the public eye. You use the keyword temporary just now. And, and I, I'm realizing that the nature of all of your art is truly temporary. And I wanted to know, does that add value to it or does it take away value? How does that, how does that work in terms of the relationship to the viewer? Um, I wonder what it's like for the viewer. I've gotten so used to it since, since that's been my primary form of public art has been going to these events and then um, everyone's drawing in chalk is a chalk specific event. And so I, I, would, I, I would love now at this point after doing it for 20 years to explore uh, murals and uh, doing artwork that it is more permanent. Um, but you don't, I feel like the permission from the city or there, it's a lot um, more forgiving because they know that it's not going to be there forever. What else? You can do it on the street. I, there's a whole history from it from Italy where it originated. You can block off an entire downtown for a weekend and then the, wash the streets with street cleaners and you and you can restore the this you know that area back to as it was. So that may even encourage 
these events to happen more often. I, and there's also kind of a convenience that I'm not left with an enormous piece of artwork that, has, that I need to store. So I haven't really thought about it, but I've gotten used to letting go. What is it that the monks that, that make artwork out of sand, like just not being attached to the artwork. And once we have our photo, then it's not mine anymore. Like I, there's no, I can walk away and go have a drink and just be uh, complete with the process of the artwork and and you know just have the photo to look back on it but the original being gone i think your priorities must be set very straight because i think a lot of artists when when they're commissioned to do something or or they're doing a project with with any intention in mind it typically comes with uh i better make this great for the viewer's perspective i think i think that there's a lot of pressure to appeal to the viewer's perspective. Mm -hmm. But what it, you're sounding like, it, what you're saying sounds like you're accepting and, and not being attached and, and allowing the visceral feeling of completion to be the diagnosis of success. Does that make sense? I, I mean, yeah. That might've been a complicated way of putting it, but what and I'm there's saying- There's still um, a wanting to impress the viewer. That That's still ongoing, except there's an added layer of they're watching you they're watching the whole process. They're watching you create it in a short period of time. And so it, is, the, it isn't a you know month long or months long process. It's done in a matter of hours. Absolutely. While maintaining you know it being visually pleasing for the people that are watching you. So the art then isn't necessarily the final product. Right. It's the process of it. Yeah, the final product never stays for very long. You, right. you only have the final product for a few hours. And I, I also can get the experience of going to these events where you show up on Friday and it's just a sketch. You show up on Saturday and maybe there's an eye or half a nose and then you come on Sunday and the piece is done and you're blown away. But, but there, there was something interactive uh, about getting to see what it looked like before it was finished. And then once it's done, it's a beautiful piece of artwork, but there's less of a relationship with it. You know, you have your favorite, you, it's almost like, oh, I found out what that ended up looking like. But all, all of the um, emotion and the connection and the fun was definitely in the, the building it, of it out. <laughs> I yeah. get that. I get that. And I, I get that personally with, with one of my hobbies of uh, woodworking. Great. When I'm, when I'm doing that, the, the whole process of getting to the completed thing, even though the project you're making is a lot more permanent in nature when you're, mm -hmm. you're finishing and creating it. It still is the process leading up to it that is really exciting. I always find that the hardest part is breaking the ice. Do you have that issue as well sometimes? With breaking the ice, deciding what to make or starting the project? Yeah. Yeah, I um, I get that with, with like original art, like if I'm making something for myself and that definitely gets in the way sometimes of like, what am I even going to draw? And um, I think that is also kind of be breaking through and being introduced into the, the chalk art because I've been so used to just picking an image that someone else has made and then recreating it. Like I just need something to draw for the weekend that's beautiful and eye-catching. So I'm scouring Pinterest or Google Images. And now that I've done it for so long, then I'm questioning, what am I doing it for? Like is my sole purpose just to copy other people's work? And I have the opportunity to make something of my own. So I'm just now playing with that idea of breaking the ice and, and what can I make that's mine that I can offer onto the, onto the streets. <laughs> sure. No, I, I love it. I love it. And, and chalk isn't the only art you do. You say also you do painting. Yes. 
that those those I have a lot more in my garage. Those those are a lot more that have accumulated. Yeah, it's it's a completely different mindset and process. It's much more solitary. The the chalk arts have a deadline, and then with the, the paintings are they're ongoing, and I have them, and I work on them. You know when I want to, or if that time ever comes, and so. That's definitely much more focused on the end product and how it looks like in the end. And it's a it's a little grueling. It's definitely not therapeutic. It's like I want to I want to get through it and get to the end point and then have something beautiful to show. But getting there, so it's a lot of time on my on my own. Um, so what, what we've been doing during quarantine is calling other chalk artists who also paint. I think everybody paints alongside of being able to do this chalk art. And because all all the festivals are canceled they're spending a lot of time at home working on commissions and painting themselves. So, so we've set up video calls just to be able to be in the company of each other and be able to talk while we're painting and motivate each other to get our, our projects done. That is so sweet. I, I love that. I love that environment that you guys have created. I think we're used to being around people and talking to each other and, um, you know, music, music being played and there's, there's, um, uh, community base around that type of art and so it, I think it is a little bit of a, a shock for us to suddenly go back to just solitary painting and yeah, then and finding I, creative ways to bring each other back together. Absolutely and I can see from a psychological perspective as well the effect that that could have just because human beings are such social creatures. Mm-hmm. So to be around someone actually is freeing to the mind not distracting to the mind. I, I'm actually so I'm personal friends with this great uh, animation director. His name is Saul Blinkoff. When he was first starting out uh, in animation, he was helping, I believe, in uh, the animation process of Mulan. That's how far back he goes. He actually worked on Mulan. That's great. Yeah. And he and his friends, he was describing this process where he and his friends, while doing animation, they weren't actually having conversations and drawing. Saul had recorded all of these classic movies on the cassette tape, so it was audio only. It was like listening to a book on tape. Yeah. With no action description, just really dialogue and music, and you hear like the the sound effects and whatnot. And him and his friends would animate on their on their on their digital pads. Oh sorry, I'm the <laughs> we didn't go digital yet. On their <laughs> on their paper yet. While you listen to cassette tapes. <laughs> While listening to cassette tapes. Right. Retro. <laughs> right, right. So like now, because of that experience he knows every single word and line to Back to the Future. Uh, you know, that's that makes complete sense to me. There's, when I'm painting, it's using only one part of my senses. So then my hearing becomes super heightened and sensitive. And so I take in everything that I hear. So I'll listen to podcasts sometimes, or um, if I'm out on the street, then I'm hearing people's conversations. And whether I want to or not, like, because my hearing is, my sense of hearing is heightened. Everything gets taken in. And I've noticed I did some painting last year and I was listening to a podcast. I think it was about, you know, some sort of true crime podcast, but I, I can, I remember certain parts of the painting. Like I remember what I was listening to at certain parts of the painting. And I'm like, oh, when I was painting that wolf ear, like they were talking about someone being killed or something. And And it's strange that association of what I'm doing with, with what I'm hearing. When normally, if I'm not painting, then my mind is all over the place and I'm distracted and thinking about my thoughts. But it, it, it hones in my, my concentration to what I'm working on. And so my ears are wide open. So I, I get that 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of, speaking of podcasts, though, 
I had listened to your episode, to your other interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't the first one to recognize your your talents. Uh, the sharing, the uh, the sharing thoughts podcast, I believe, mm-hmm. is what it's called. Mm-hmm. I loved your interview on that. I think oh, you were great. great. I had no idea you ha- you were a dancer as well. That you had an experience in that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you never told me about that. I I think I I realized that when I when in in my art community that I'm just doing that and then when I'm with my dance community then like they don't know that I do art and then when I like look at myself holistically I'm like I'm kind of a renaissance woman like kind of just go and like pursue the things that I like to do and then get good at them and then there isn't much thought around it and and I was thinking of like what you know who I am in the world and and what, what I have to contribute and I just recognize that feature of just pursuing whatever it is that I love and then going and doing it without anything without any second thought about it so yes definitely I uh, moving to Los Angeles was a big factor that I I liked I liked dancing I didn't know you know where to go or how to pursue it and then by making friends in Los Angeles and learning that it's an industry and people are dancing and music videos and doing it for their job that I discovered all of these professional dance studios and then being humbled by people's skill and ability and and how incredible they are pushed me further what I wanted to be friends with them I'm like oh my god you you're incredible and uh and I love that I can have a personal relationship with you and then being in class with them uh really really pushed me and motivated me to practice and get better so so now that was like maybe the last 10 years or so. Maybe I think that was around 2009 when I first moved to LA. So those, the things have settled down now. I just enjoy dancing for, for exercise and for, I guess, an artistic release. You could, you could go, you know, take dance class at 10 o'clock at night. You can do it like, you know, or go to nightclubs and there's events happening. So now it's a little bit more settled down, but I, I love that it's something that I have and I can enjoy. So the only thing I've gotten from this mm-hmm. is that there's not a thing you can't do then. <laughs> like you're just yeah. that talented I know there must be something you know I, I, or, or maybe it isn't a matter of of can't but it's either practice or motivation I stuff that comes to mind is like three-dimensional thought you mentioned woodworking which I think is so cool I don't have any interest to do it but I want stuff to be made out of wood for me or I remember taking a ceramics class and then um you know the girl next to me this was in high school I think she built this incredible thing and I was struggling with it so things that didn't come naturally and easily right off the bat I would uh, get discouraged and then not pursue and continue when just like dance, I'm sure j- having spent the time and effort into it, then it's something that could develop. But w- without that, um, I guess initial initial push of like, hey, this is something I'm kind of good at. Without without that there, <laughs> then I can imagine the discouragement <laughs> takes over. It, it the learning curve is always hard to, to it's it's hard to get over yeah. that hump. I, I I completely breaking understand. the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I've had, and going back to, you know, my hobby of, of woodworking on the side, I've, I've totally had that experience of, of just being so frustrated beyond tears where I just didn't want to, I wanted to quit woodworking on the spot. Yeah. There was this one project, it was for my best friend, I made him a breakfast and bed table. And wow. I originally had like this whole geometric design planned out in my head. It was going to look really cool, but I just, I'm really bad at math. And you need to be good at math to do woodworking. And so really the art was math. It wasn't mm-hmm. the art of woodworking, it was the art of math. Mm-hmm. 
And like, these I mean, two I table legs are beautiful and they're not the same height or they don't fit into the table. It was something like that. <laughs> it, was, it was more so the geometric pattern because I was going for like a rustic look and I had bought, oh, like, yeah. taken a bunch of wood pallets and cut them down and then tried to create certain shapes with them. And I was creating the shapes and then I realized the angle was like off by like three degrees. Next thing I know, mm -hmm. I had like this ugly gap in it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just patch up, which means mm -hmm. I just wasted that piece of wood. Oh. <laughs> so I was so frustrated. But what did yeah. you do to overcome it? What did you make it again? I, I chose a different pattern as the answer. <laughs> I chose a much more simpler pattern. Um, but that's okay though, because the project turned out beautifully. And Josh, my best friend, he eats in his bed every morning with that breakfast and bed table. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe not every morning, but he uses it. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's there's something really beautiful and sentimental about like somebody made this for you. Like they right. go out and buy it. You're like, I made this. Well, isn't, it, isn't that the same with a lot of your your chalk art? Is that you haven't really been doing it for yourself necessarily? That a lot of it has been for other people. I don't know. That's that's a As great a gift perspective. Or... I think it's just like a mindset. Where's where's my where am I looking? Am I looking from? the other people's perspective or, or my own, uh, my, my personal intention always is like, get this done, like finish right. it. <laughs> the sun, it's hot outside. <laughs> like the sun is going down, finish this for the photo and then you can go enjoy yourself. But I'm missing the bigger part of what people's experience is when they see it, when they walk by on who a neighbor, a neighbor, here had posted the pictures on next door. He took photos of the cat. He took photos of another piece I did. And then was so excited to tell me all of the feedback he was getting. And some other neighbors said they, I don't know if they're considered neighbors. These people walked three miles to come see the artwork. And so I'm, I'm just getting a taste of what the art is doing for the people in the community wow. <laughs> when I go out and do it. <laughs> it almost reminds me of geocaching. Do you remember that? Do you remember geocaching? I don't know. What is it? Geocaching, it was from an app. And the idea was to find landmarks or very unique things around your city. Oh, cool. Kind of hike to these locations and then leave a certain little item, I guess, that represents you and then take something with you as well. Oh, wow. So um, when you describe people coming three miles just to check out your chalk drawings, I was moved by, I'm, I'm like, I'm moved hearing that because it reminds me of like that sense of adventure that like going to some place that is technically insignificant, but then becomes so much more significant because of what has been placed there. Yeah. Especially for that temporary period of time. Who's that little fluffer? <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, actually, wait. I'm going to um, take a screenshot quickly. Can you keep Shut up. Hold on. Come on, cat. Look at the camera. <laughs> the Perfect. <cat>. Okay. <laughs> he, he was not happy about that. <laughs> Maybe that'll keep him coming up here. Um. Oh, my God. That is so funny. Yeah, but... Um, it, now I'm distracted. You had a cat in the, in the, in the, it's not, in the <laughs> not many people bring their pets to their interview. Cat lady, dancer, that's what I should have said in my, in my opening. <laughs> Artist, dancer, cat lady. Right. Do you um, have a piece, do you have a chalk piece that has resonated with you most? Resonated. So I'm going to, I don't, I think I'm sure there's other ones that have resonated. The one that I've been most surprised by was last year, um, I was just, I was on 
scrolling through Instagram and then like, you know, my, I saw a photo, someone got um, a makeup kit by James Charles. So, and then on the cover of his makeup kit was his face with like a rainbow and, um, and I thought, oh, that's, that, let me look that up. That could be a good piece to draw. And when I went on his Instagram, he has all these amazing portraits of himself and where he looks like a painting. So I, I just arbitrarily chose one and drew it unbeknownst of what an enormous social media influencer he is and who my, the audience is that is coming to look at the artwork. And so it just, the piece the exploded it in on social media. And, and I was just taken aback and blown away by how fast word can travel. So I had, it was doing an event in Washington. So I'm out of my hometown. I'm in this new city. And I think I had just first posted a picture of me and like my name, like the, my, the poster of me and the name of the event. Like I'm in Seattle today. I'm going to, you know, here's what I'm doing. And normally my likes are like maybe 60 or 90 or something like in two digits. And then when I went home and went to bed, uh, that photo alone had like 300 likes. And I'm like, this is weird. Like what's happening? So so already in, I, in me having my Instagram handle on the ground and starting to draw James Charles, the James Charles followers were starting. The next day I, I sketched it out some more. Um, someone had, had reposted it and, was, and then he had retweeted me. And, you know, they were like, someone's drawing your face on the street and it's amazing. And I'm like, who is this? And then I'm getting messages from like the East Coast and, and family from across the country. And, you know, and the friends are like, just finish the picture, like get off your phone. And then I knew like once I was done with the piece, I'm like, okay, you know, post the time lapse and like get the final picture and write your, your speech because people are now looking at you. And then it went up to like 9,000 likes and it was just <laughs> like broke my Instagram. <laughs> and I, yeah, and you know, it never happened again. But, but I, I was amazed one by, yeah, how fast word traveled, how far it got, uh, it, you know, reaching him. I think on the one hand, it, you know, the original artists of people that I draw or even these online celebrities because of Instagram, it's, it's smaller and they're easier to reach. But um, I, I think it was like the power of his fans that wanted to get my artwork over to him and like tagged him a gazillion times. Um, and even uh, little kids that recognized him that knew what I was drawing. And, and so uh, I started thinking while I was drawing, like, wow, he's someone that's, um, what is it? Like it just, gay in the community, openly gay in the community and, and expressing himself fully. This wouldn't be someone that was accepted years ago. And then, and even, you know, young children know about him and, um, and hear his voice. And then, you know, I draw him and then get all the attention. So, <laughs> so just that experience in a whole was, was memorable. Um, and I'm sure there's other pieces that I've, I've done that have resonated, but but that one for sure was an experience that I won't forget. And, um, and I, I think too, I wonder what else I can draw now if, if my artwork can reach that big of an audience that quickly because of social media, then like, what am I choosing to do next? That maybe will have that same effect. Sure. Well, it sounds absolutely inspirational, really. Did people in the in the street painting community recognize your work for that as well? There were, there were not that many people who I was drawing with knew who James Charles was. Like maybe one because she had a teenage daughter, so it's definitely a specific demographic. Um, but I had I had a girl approach me because she saw him share the the post, and she's like, "Oh my God, I know you!" Like, <laughs> I didn't know that you were drawing him. <laughs> I saw I saw what he shared, and was like, "I know who she is." So so there was some resonance after the fact, but it it definitely is a specific 
group and audience. Oh, and it reached, you know, that other guy that did the podcast in London. Like, it's just the power of the internet and how small it makes the world. And you can be anywhere <laughs> and, and see this stuff. The Sharing Thoughts podcast is great. I, I really, again, I really enjoyed it. And if you guys are listening to this podcast, I highly recommend you check out his podcast as well. He has a lovely, charming British accent. Yeah. He interviewed an excellent guest. Naomi, you were great on that podcast. Um, and now I have a lot of work to do to, to, to really make myself a, a great interviewer as well, because he, he really raised the roof on that. He really oh, wow. right. <laughs> And he's so, you know, nice and charming. So I bet this is a, a great opportunity to um, reach out or collaborate or learn from each other, both, you know, as podcasts and specific yeah. Genres. Yeah. And um, you know what? You know what? That's a good idea. After this, I'm going to reach out to him. I'm going to reach out to him and tell him I interviewed a mutual friend of ours, <laughs> and it was fantastic. It's neat. It's both of, was from you know for me going out and doing public art that brought you guys to me and had this conversation. So yeah, and I, I'm just thankful that I've had the chance to really experience it in person. One thing I did notice about your chalk art is that. It really depends on the angle in which you're viewing it. Mm-hmm. I want to know, is that difficult to kind of gauge to what angle it needs to be at in order to look be looked at directly head on? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, it be, what is it? Um, the, the street's always angled or straight. So, from your perspective, there's going to be some warping. So, we'll take photos. We've learned this over time with like a super long selfie stick so you can get a top-down picture or take photos with a drone. So now what's become wildly popular that I'm practicing and I actually, I, I practiced with the, the Cheshire Cat because I had a long driveway is doing, I think it's called anamorphic, where you skew, you take into account the perspective of the street. If you're standing up straight and you're looking at the street and it makes your artwork stretched out and angled, then you draw your picture stretched out and angled. So then when you look at it, then it looks, you know, like it's standing upright. <laughs> it sounds it like, like it sounds different. so challenging. Yeah. So it's the manipulating on Photoshop. You definitely like, you know, mess with the, the angles or follow tutorial to get, to get your drawing done. So the drawing looks super weird. The draw, like if you, if you move around the cat in the driveway, then the tail is enormous and the head is small and it's, and it looks crazy looking. And it's even, it's, it's much larger to draw as well but then when you stand right in front of the house and you look up at the long driveway then the cat looks normal and it just pops out pops out of the ground so people are i'm that was my my attempt to practice and to play with it but people are doing incredible things they're doing like waterfalls or spider-man on the side of a building and they just or cracks in the ground it looks like feel like you're falling in and have have really mastered this play and interaction so then you can you know stand and be part of the piece and then and look like it's happening around you when really it's just this tweaking of perspective and drawing it longer. So what you could choose to make it 3D or 2D. So I've I've predominantly made my pieces 2D. What happens, like you said, is I, you know, I drew a girl's face, but depending on where you stand, her chin will look like Jay Leno, like you, (laughs) or like how you move your camera will, will change what the angle of her face. And so, so almost doing these anamorphic 3D pieces, I think is it does a service for, the passerby or who takes a picture because then the, the, the photo isn't warped and you get a more accurate reading of what it's supposed to look like. A hundred percent. And there's so much talent, so much thought that goes behind the chalk drawing. It's not just 
getting on your hands and knees and scraping a, a chalk piece of art across a pavement. So mm -hmm. I just got to commend you for it. I remember you earlier mentioned that you weren't originally from LA. Where were you from? From the Bay Area. I grew up in Marin County, which is about 20 minutes north of San Francisco. And so they, it's in a city called San Rafael. And San Rafael, it turns out, has an enormous chalk festival where people come from all over the world. And I had no idea. I just, I grew up there. I went to high school there. My art teacher was involved in the festival. So we all, we helped her out and we grew up being part of this event. And so I, now that I have the perspective of leaving, leaving the town and traveling to different cities and participating in events, I, I now understand the caliber of how enormous this, this festival was that was in Marin like you know 10 minutes from my house and it, and for a long time before i'd gotten involved in other events around the country it was really the highlight of the year to be able to go home in june and see my friends and family see other artists that have friends that i made um and then draw together at this at this you know event at home and then go back to wherever we were living again and then disperse after the weekend isn't that isn't that funny how we always underplay what's in our very backyard I, you know, I didn't know any difference. So it was just part of my upbringing. And now I'm realizing people are traveling from Mexico and Japan and Italy. And there's people from all over the place that were flying in to, or even the East Coast from Florida. And now I see them when I go to Florida and I do an event and they go, oh yeah, we did San Rafael. And I'm like, oh my God, you were there the whole time. That's so cool. <laughs> that's that's that, and I think that's, that's another cool part is this because it's this handful of people that travel to different states and do these same events every year. Now we got this group, you know, we, there's a, a group on Facebook, but we, everyone lives in different parts of the country and it's just, you know, you see them multiple times a year. Does that mean that yeah. you have friends that you meet once a year then? Now it's multiple. It was once a year, you know, when I only did the one, but now that I do multiple festivals, uh, it's the same, the same people get back together. So we check in, we're like, are you going to do the one in Georgia? Are you doing the one in Seattle? And they're like, okay, I'll see you there. And then, and then we just all get, get back together again. And I, I think that's like, you're from Florida and you live in Buffalo. And I like forget that everyone goes back to their own states. So the, it sounds like the community is really in touch with one another and it's really supportive. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm learning now too to even accept more of the support now that I'm, dabbling and thinking about, you know, how I can make my own original pieces or what people are doing. So one artist helped me design something and he gave me feedback I was, as I was putting an image together for an event that was coming up. Or um, another, another artist told me that she's taking photographs of her daughter with like, she'll put like cellophane or something over her flashlight. So there's a color that's reflecting off her face and how she creates her own photos to have material to draw. So I didn't even think of reaching out to the chalk community to ask them how to develop my own pieces and where I can source um, material to make it more original than, re than referring back to the internet for something that's pre-made. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so that's, that's the exploration stage that I'm at now. But it's fantastic to realize that everyone's just a phone call away. Right, everyone's a phone call away. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they're, they're willing and ready to answer the call as well. And yeah, I think that so that- They're so nice. Yeah. And it's, so talented. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I gotta say that, I, I don't think that that's very common to find in other communities, whether, yeah. that's art, whether those are other art communities yeah. or, 
I can tell you that doesn't exist as much in the film community, which is, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's also. It's I just, imagine even in fine art. Right. Know, in like the gallery scene. It's, right. And you've had experience in the fine art gallery scene, haven't you? I, I don't know. I, I like, it's, no, very little. I think all, all of my experience has been like street, um, like art walks, art walks and like things that are more public in the community, but less, less high end, you know, fine, fine art galleries where they're like, it's a, it's a whole other beast to discover and learn. So I've just stayed with my, <laughs> my friendly folk where we just go out, show and sell some art and then pack up and <laughs> go to the next one, do some okay. live paintings with a, a band or something. Right. In the well, that sounds like the best, that sounds like the best kind of community personally. It just sounds like everyone's your friend. Mm-hmm. When did you come to LA? Because I know you said you're from Marin County. 2009. I went to college in San Diego. So that's when I left the Bay Area. Wound up graduating in 2008, which unbeknownst to me was like a recession and like a really bad time to look for a job. So I couldn't find anything in San Diego and got hired at a, at a Japanese company in, in Los Angeles. I majored in international business and art and then thought, oh, this is, I need to, you know, find a job that's in that field and then got hired at a Japanese company in LA. So I suddenly moved to downtown Los Angeles. And I think what, what was the most difficult about that was, was not, my mom is Japanese and I grew up in California. So I don't know all of the proper ins and outs of working in a Japanese company. And it's very strict and very regimented. And I get nervous when I serve tea. And, and the big takeaway was was just to continue the pursuit of finding um, work that's creative and I can express myself and it isn't as stifling that you must only wear black, gray, and brown. Like, no, I, mean, I wanna wear like red shoes and be, be more self-expressed. So s- since then, I think it, it, working in, in tech jobs or other things where things are more looser, I've continued to balance this day job and, um, and continuing art but ultimately, and especially moving to Los Angeles and meeting so many creative people that are doing, that are art full-time here, which is what I love about being here, is finding that crossover where full-time work and a steady job and a creative outlet are one. <laughs> so that's, so that's, that's been the, the pursuit over the last, I think, I guess 10 years since 2009 till today of going in and out of different, different jobs and discovering what I like and don't like. You know, you're speaking on something that has been a part of my, my mindset towards what I'm working towards mm-hmm. for the past couple of years now. And that is that to find that, put yourself in this accomplishing mindset, or I guess the, this progressively moving forward mindset and, and find the correct environment for it. It's difficult to come by. There, It's a needle in a haystack yeah. to find in uh, Los Angeles. I think just in general in the, in the art community. And I think the more and more I think about it, the more I realize that the only, not the only way, but one of the best ways to come by it is the way that very few people actually want to accomplish this, mm-hmm. this, uh, this status. Mm-hmm. And that is by uh, creating your own company and, and creating mm-hmm. your own work around that. Yeah. Sense. And that's why, by the way, I'm creating Mr. Mr. Thrive Media, a media company mm-hmm. that hopefully one day We'll be able to do anything. And yeah. That, you know, starting starting right now with podcasts and yeah. the next day will be networks. And then the after that, uh going into uh full feature films 
which I'm currently working on a few right now in hopes that it'll, you know, be the big one, you know, yeah, uh, that'll start it all. But yeah, I think that you really just, I think artists really have to make it their own. Yeah. You know, make it on their own in order for it to really be made because you know, I, I really wish that when I was in college, I went to San Francisco State. That's why I'm familiar with Marin County. When I went to San Francisco State, I really wish that there was a class that explained how the film industry worked. Because you can learn about camera angles and camera technicalities. You can learn about lighting. You can learn about how to make documentaries. You can learn about film theory. You can learn about how to manage a soundstage. All these different topics you can learn about. But the one topic that is never discussed is how this industry actually works. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the no brainer concept right there that needs to be taught. Like either, either they, there isn't anyone there that knows or they need some kind of gap bridge gap. Wait. Yeah. The gap bridge of people that are working, working in the industry to come speak to their experience. Yeah. Well, I've read, I've read dozens and dozens of books yeah. on film, just the topic of film as a general concept, but only one of them ever described how the business of the film industry works, and it yeah. blew my mind. That's actually, in my mind, one of the few books that really matters to me yeah. in, terms of, in, terms of, in terms of the industry, and it blew my mind, and I'm upset that it's not talked about more. Mm-hmm because it puts a lot of people in the ringer with no boxing gloves on yeah you know and it's it's uh it's i don't think it's a, i don't think it's a good curriculum to strictly teach film theory to you know require students to understand the technicalities how come how come kids how come these students don't know about networking right how come they don't know about freelance law in california and you know these different these different topics like that that are just so important for really Grasping. Yeah, it's something I could rant about forever. I don't want to take your spotlight, of course, but I, it just, it's just in that really, I think, bothers me personally that the curriculum isn't about learning the industry. It's about learning the technicalities and the artsy side of it. And I think are, there's a, there's a layer of, in Los Angeles, too, of on the one hand, on the one hand, there's all of these opportunities are here and they're like at your fingertips and you're right in the middle of it. And then on the other hand, there's so much competition and talent. And so ultimately it's what are you doing to stand out and be known and, and rise above because you, you can, you know, be successful overnight, but <laughs> how are you going about doing that? The opportunity is there, but if you don't do anything with it, then it's just you're there and it's there, and there's nothing connecting you to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah. Was coming to LA easy then? Would you say it was an easy transition? I know you say you worked at a Japanese company, but what what felt were you yeah, down in downtown LA? It was a it was a a shock. I was staying with a, a friend that had moved to Hollywood, so. So all of a sudden, I feel like San Diego is like relatively suburban. You know, there's large parking lots. It's almost like being in the valley here. But like going to downtown, downtown LA and Hollywood and Hollywood and Highland is there's no, there are no parking lots. You just, it's just traffic tickets and street parking and a ton of people. And I didn't know how to maneuver around. So I ended up um, going back to San Diego for maybe the first three months on the weekends just to do laundry or go, like do the things that I know how to do because I didn't know how to maneuver in the city. 
then the then maybe the next three months after that was finding my people here because I'm staying with a friend who came to pursue acting. So her circle of people in Hollywood are actors, which is not which is not my circle of people. And um, I love actors. I have actor friends. Just right off the bat, that we didn't have a lot to connect on, and I didn't have anything to relate to. So so I was frustrated with finding my um, my niche, finding where I belonged in the city. And then I discovered the dance studio. Um, I met other artists. Um, I found the people who who um, had related interests and then fell in love with how talented they were, how humble they were as people and how incredible they were at their craft. And then really fell in love with, with the uniqueness of Los Angeles and like the melting pot of people that it draws. And I, and now I never want to leave. Now I, I did leave for a bit. There was, I took a job that had moved me back to the Bay area. Um, and then being around the entertainment industry and around other artists and creative people. And then now being in the Bay area with a lot of, a lot of people that are more technical, that are, that are, that are heavily in the, the tech industry had really had me miss being in Los Angeles. And so I came back. <laughs> so now I'm back. Right. <laughs> Wow. So you yeah. got, you, you got, you got the art bug is what you're saying. I really like it here. I like, I like visiting San Francisco. It's so much fun and it's a totally different city and feel. I like visiting New York, but I like living in Los Angeles. I'm, I right. found my, my tribe. <laughs> I, I feel completely similar, uh, but it's so interesting because the, the relationship between Los Angeles and San Francisco, mm -hmm. it's such a different vibe and yet it's in the same state and it, it just completely feels like a different world. It really, yeah. really does. Like even the way they speak, you know, they don't say the one on one. How do you uh, yeah. how do you say how do you how do you how do you say freeways? Oh, and that that freeway one on one goes through both. We've got it here in the valley, and then you have it up. You you know goes through San Francisco. But even just now, you said one on one. You didn't say. Right. Well, I know. I was trying to be careful with my words. What, <laughs> the ten, the four hundred five, but then up north, what freeway? Eight hundred five. I don't think you say that before any of them. I'm gonna take. I think you just say, I'm going to take 101 to 805 to 605 or whatever. That's the thing is, I can't do that. I also can't get myself to say hella, but everyone up in Northern California says hella. I had to drop hella in college from when I got into San Diego State. Then I said it in the dorms and the whole, we were at like a dorm orientation or something and everyone in the room looked at me and I'm like, okay, mental note to stop saying that. <laughs> And then when I went back home for like summer and visited, it it, I, it stood out like, you know, it's just how often it was getting used. I'm like, I hella ate this and then I was hella tired. And I'm like, man, this is, they don't even know that, this, that they're doing it. I, I did the exact opposite my first year of college where going into San Francisco and I hearing the word hella for the first time, we had a Facebook group for the freshman, for the new freshman class that had just come in and I was in it. Yeah. And my first thing, my first thought was, okay, you know, what will be funny is if I just antagonize everyone. So I made a post saying, newsflash, hella is not a word. And I got like a hundred comments of like, not, not like, like just like trash talking Southern California. And like, it got, it got bad for like a good, a good day or so. I'm wondering funny. like, what could people say to that? Like, yes, it is. Or like, I guess they're just like, oh, you think you're cool because you're from Southern California. Well, like one of the jokes was like, and I'm, I even just emulated what I'm about to make fun of is, <laughs> is saying the word like way too much. 
I should go back and count in this podcast how many times I've said it without even knowing. That's probably what hella is like for people. So like, I'm like from like Southern like California, like like, it's like so like sunny and that's what they made fun of me for now <laughs> now it's literally that's the new word now literally literally like uh, literally. yes <laughs> i rode in an uber back when we could ride in ubers with a girl who sounded like that and i was just amazed and i'm like oh my god it's real it's <laughs> real yeah <laughs> it's real la la has lingo it's it's not necessarily the greatest lingo but <laughs> it's LA. You know, I've, I've, I've been in my bubble once I found my tribe and then I wasn't like tapping into even like a generation below. And then when I was in the car with her, I was like, whoa. <laughs> they make fun of that on TV, but this is for real. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just, I'm thrilled that you're, that you're in LA and I'm, 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 I'm especially thrilled for the selfish intake of just being able to like look at your art and I can't wait to see the more of what you do. I, I saw you the other day making new art. Do you have any projects lined up ahead of you? Uh, the All these virtual festivals. So there's two more coming up on my radar. Next weekend is the Pasadena Virtual Chalk Festival. So that's also from your homes. You can draw from anywhere. You know what else is great too about that is that it's, it's so inclusive. Now you don't have to be accepted in the, you know, and have a spot allocated to draw. Anyone can participate in the virtual Pasadena Chalk Festival. And then you just hashtag Pasadena Chalk Festival. And the one after that is 4th of July in Redwood City. And you're not limited to going, you know, not being in that location or having to travel. So you can participate in all these chalk festivals now just from your home. So 4th of July weekend is Redwood City Chalk Festival. And then next weekend, it's always on Father's Day weekend. So next weekend must be Father's Day weekend. <laughs> I'll have to send him a card is the Pasadena Chop Festival. So I'll, I'll draw something. Beautiful. I love it. Naomi, if another artist on the other end listening right now wanted to collaborate with you or reach out to you, what is the best way to reach out? I would say email or Instagram. So email is just art at naomidubin.com. And then Instagram is at symbol. <laughs> the Instagram handle is Naomi Dubin. So I try to make it easy for people. And I'm pretty sure you can, if you're on Instagram, there's a message button and it'll go to the email. So the whole thing links up. All that information will be displayed in the description below. Call me. Finally. I would love to collaborate. <laughs> <laughs> Call me. Yeah, Call no. Me. Awesome. Like literally, please. And finally, um, Naomi, mm -hmm. the question I ask everyone on this podcast. Bum, bum, bum. What will you be famous for? What will I be famous for? I will be famous for, so far keywords come to mind. Color comes to mind, um, pers personability, being personable. I think it's the artist behind the art. I think I'm gonna be famous for, for me and my personality and then people falling in love with, with, with maybe the artwork first, but then who I am and then and then loving that they get to have something that I made because they love me so much. It sounds arrogant, but I'm getting a taste of it. I'm, I'm beginning to understand that, that if I'm there at the art show, then people will buy the art versus if it's just the art standing alone. So I'll be famous for the whole package. <laughs> Naomi Dubin, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Coughing for myself, this is good. It's <laughs> self-promotion. 
If you've listened this far into the episode, it must mean you're a thriver. A great way to support my show is to follow my socials. You can follow my Instagram, at Mr. Thrive, like the Facebook page, Mr. Thrive Media, and be sure to check out my website at www.mrthrive.com to learn more about the Thriver experience. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.